We are uh, going to take this opportunity in the next, uh, for the next several minutes to give a fuller report on our trip to Africa, and that includes pictures and whatnot. And so um, we're both going to be talking, uh, not at the same time, because that would be less understandable. Could be a challenge. We could, <laughs> could do a challenge. Could be a challenge. But um, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, kind of talk about our different perspectives on the trip, what we learned, what we took away, what things struck us, and uh, kind of the things that stuck with us after we've got back, gotten back. So uh, we, we uh, pray that this will be encouraging for everyone and uh, it will be enlightening for what went on then and, and uh, maybe stir some, um, uh, some things in your own heart in this regard. Before we start, let me go ahead and pray for us and then we will get going. Father, we come to you this morning and are excited about the opportunity to talk about uh, this trip that we had to Africa, the time we got to spend there with uh, the various pastors in the different countries, with uh, their different contexts and struggles and the things that were amazing to us, the things that struck us, uh, the things that really have stuck with us and been impactful in our lives uh, to this point. Uh, Father, we, we give you glory that uh, you sent Jesus to die for us that you sought us out, that you uh, came and, and uh, accomplished salvation for us. What an amazing thing. And we get to be bearers of that news to those in, uh, around us and in our families and in our, in our uh, city and state here, but around the world also. Father, I pray as we uh, get to report on this time and think about the things that you accomplished and maybe the things that, uh, that you possibly will accomplish in the future there, I pray that you would be honored. I pray that you would be lifted up. We know this is a tradition that goes all the way back to the first missionaries, uh, reporting in Antioch the things that, that uh, you had done and uh, even before that. So, uh, uh, Father, we want to give you glory. We want you to be lifted up in this time. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start by going through some pictures. I don't even know how to use this thing, but uh, he's, he's trusting me. This one right here? This one. The right arrow that's not there. Got it. Yes. Um, so I was going to run through these pictures. Do I need to turn this on? Sorry. It's all right. I forgive you. It's on. Ah, there we go. Okay, we made it. Thank you. Okay, so this is Andre, which actually he told me he was going to start calling me Andre and I could call him Andy because that would be my name in Africa. And he was kind of my my buddy as I was there. Um, He came and I was just sitting there by myself. I think it was the second day that he came up and and came and sat next to me and he was kind of my interpreter, especially when the the two African uh, men preached. There was a time where... A couple times, actually, while we were there in Burundi. This was in Burundi. And, and uh, two of the African preachers got up and preached. And one was speaking in Kurundi, which is the Burundi local language. And one was speaking in Swahili because there were some people there from Congo and other places around that don't speak Kurundi. And so he would come over and, and translate for me. And uh, so him and I kind of built a bond together. He was, he was, he was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed meet, meeting Andre. And then... Okay. Okay. Hi. Apparently, I'm not smart enough for this thing. It's uh, not. Now, when I can't get it going, there we go. You want me to? Maybe I might need. I might need your help. Let me, let me see. Well, I'll see if I can get through this. Um, this was our lunch in Burundi, and uh, a lot of carbs. 
So not a lot of meat or protein, but a lot of carbs. And it was, but it was good. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I've only had two experiences of being out of the country. One was in Colombia and this one was in Africa. And I'll say the African food I liked better. Um, so this was just us enjoying our lunch. <laughs> Are you hitting the same button I'm hitting? Okay. Okay, so this is actually me uh, teaching, I guess, giving a lesson um, in Burundi, and that was uh, Severance. Severin was his name, and he he was a champ, man. He he translated for eight, all of us every day, and and just never missed a beat. He was a lot of fun. Go ahead and go to the next one. And these were the two African pastors I was talking about, uh, Gershom, and I didn't catch the other guy's name, but boy, Gershom was fun to watch. I had. Until Andre came and sat next to me, I had no idea what they were saying. But whatever it was, he meant it. And it was a lot of fun to watch. It was, the passion was, was great. This was us as we were walking to lunch in Burundi. They had this, this uh, bamboo garden. And so we just decided to take the opportunity to have a photo there. And that is uh, Boniface, who was, who was our kind of our, uh, I don't remember what you call it, but, but he was the guy that was, was coming to pick us up in the morning and taking us around. Uh, to and from the, the, the church every day. This again was me teaching on the third day. As the days went on, I got more and more comfortable. I was very nervous, to say the least, at first. And, uh, and so I was kind of stuttering through the first couple days, and, and I was starting to get my stride here a little bit, I think, I hope. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's me. And this is the last day. We all wore ties the last day. Because everybody's going to get presented with their, um, you know, their certificate to show that they went through the course, and so you know they told me to look somewhat presentable, so I decided to wear a tie. <laughs> and this is us as they walked through getting their um, their certificates. They would come through and shake our hands, and very grateful, very happy. This is us with Andre, the guy that was was my buddy there. This, so I like these pictures. We've got a, I've got a lot of these on my phone actually where people are carrying stuff on their head. Because I thought that that was just like old, back in the olden days, you know, of Africa. But this is what they do every day. They walk, and you can see, actually, she's also got her baby on her back. Um, and so it was, just, it was just a neat picture of the culture to me in Africa because everybody's walking around like this. This is how they carry things. I don't know how far they walked, but I'm sure it was a long ways for some of them. Um, and this seems to be the best way for them. A lot of them use bikes. Uh, it seemed to me like the women would carry produce, food. Uh, the men would carry the sticks and the heavier things. And a lot of times they'd, ha- they'd have so much of it that they'd put it on bikes. And you can see that he can't ride that bike because there's so much on it. So it was just kind of his cart. And there's a lot of hills. So in Rwanda, it's called the, the, the land of many hills. And there's a lot of them. And so you will see sometimes, I don't think we have any pictures here today, but you'd see sometimes where there was... You know, a guy like this pushing a bike with all this stuff on it, and then there was like three kids behind him just going up the hill. And I mean, like they have some serious loads sometimes on these bikes. And so um, it seemed like the women would carry the produce and stuff and the food. The men would carry like the sticks, um, and the and the children would carry the 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 containers for water. Every day they had to go get water. They didn't have running water in their homes. Most of them. Um, there was there was running water in the hotels we stayed at, but I think the majority. As we drove around, it became pretty obvious that the majority of the, the, the neighborhoods and the villages 
most people did not have running water because, I mean, the streets are just loaded with people going up and down the street carrying buckets of water. And it was always the kids. I thought it was, I thought that was interesting how it was, it was the kids. And even, even little kids, you know, would, ha- would have this. So this is when we went to, um, Livingston, that stone. There's a, there's a, there's a landmark in Burundi, a huge rock. And it was where Stanley Livingston was found after being lost for a couple of years. Um, and so they decided to carve his name in it. And, and Dan, this is Pastor Dan who was with us, wanted to go see that. And I'm glad he did because it was, it was pretty neat to go see. And we got to meet all these. This kid right here in the red shirt, it's got his arms folded. I was in the back seat driving up. And we're turning down the street. And I'm thinking we're going to go down the street. Well, we actually like have to drive in between these houses to get to this stone. And these kids, this kid in the white shirt and the, and the one in the plaid shirt right behind him, were the first two that saw us. And they just started running next to the car. And I had my arm out the window. And he reaches over and he starts rubbing my arm. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. And he's just got this big, cheesy smile on his face and just so excited to see me. It was, it was really, really heartwarming, actually. And so I just let him rub my arm. <laughs> and so uh, this is the same place. We just took a picture. That's uh, his name. The, the bigger guy is also Severance. And, and uh, Boniface again. We just took a picture with Pastor Dan there. It was, it was kind of on this plateau where the rock was. You can see it from far away. And of course, I had to climb up the rock and take a picture. I did get help, though. I, I won't lie. There was, there was a, a young boy, teenage, I would say he was a teenage boy and with a hat on that he just scaled up it like a lizard. Because I tried to climb up it at first and kind of got stuck and fell back down. And he's like, no, 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 like this. And he just runs right up and, come on. And so he got me up there, and, and so we decided to take a picture there. And then <laughs> Pastor Dan decided he wanted to get up there. And that's the, the teenage kid I was talking about. He just jumps right up there like he's, a, like he's a lizard. And so I picked him up from the bottom, and he pulled him from the top, and he made it. <laughs> and this was um, our last day in Burundi. We got, to, we got invited to Pastor Boniface's house for lunch. On the way there... We, we did some touring around the, in, uh, in some of the villages, and we stopped at this, this little fishing village. And these are their boats. They, you can see behind Pastor Dan there, they're, they're all tied together with, with trees. So there's like three or four wide sometimes as they go fishing. And, uh, and these boats were all just sitting there when we came in, and uh, visited. But uh, this one obviously has a hole in it. And so um, we decided to take some pictures that's a little close-up. Looks like I kind of photobombed that one, but that was actually planned. <laughs> That's the that behind us is Lake Tanzania. So, so the the mountains in the distance is Congo. This this lake is huge. It's uh, the largest, the longest lake. I don't know. There's there's some fun fact about it about being the largest or the longest or the deepest or maybe all three of those. Um, this was uh, we as we were going to Pastor Boniface's house, we stopped at this uh, this little mart or store um, all the buildings most of the buildings there were, were either concrete or mud and um, and this one was a concrete building and, and they were in there just making clothes and all these sewing machines were purchased by item and so the the lady in the back there with the red hat on she ended up coming up and 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 telling uh, telling us how thankful she was for for giving them the sewing machines and how they've all the things that they've done with them, it was it was really neat to see their their appreciation for that, um, and it was it was cool to 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 see the you know the benefit that that Africa is getting through some of the some of the money that's coming from America. 
And this is her telling us how thankful she was. Uh, this is lunch at Pastor Boniface's house. So those are bananas, fried bananas, a fish, uh, rice with sauce on it. That The sauce doesn't look very good in the picture, but it was awesome. And that little ball of goop. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good, but it's mostly carbs. I mean, the only thing there that's not carbs is, is the fish. And uh, I don't want to steal your thunder on this one, but okay. <laughs> We were eating, and, and, and it was funny because, like, you know, it's as you can see, it's a full fish, and you, you're having to pick through the bones and all this, and, and it, you're peeling off the skin, and the meat's coming with it, and you're just eating and enjoying it. And <laughs> and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, Brennan just goes, yep, that was an eyeball. And I looked at him, and he goes, I said, you just eat an eyeball? Yep. <laughs> so, so I guess he peeled off one of the sides and ate it from the All he could see was the meat on one side, and he didn't realize the eyeball was on the other side. So Brennan got to eat an eyeball. And this is this is us, this is us outside Pastor Boniface's house. One of the things that that um, that really struck me there, you know, same thing with Columbia too, was was the poverty. You know, you see these pastors show up, and they're all in suits and dressed really nice and very presentable, and and so you you kind of assume that they they have, you know, what we would consider somewhat nice house. And I guess in Africa this probably is a somewhat nice house, but you can see that's his front door behind us to the to the right. And uh, his two daughters, Dan, his wife, him, me, and Brennan. And so, but when you go inside, I mean, there's like, it's, it's just a concrete box. And he actually had concrete floors in his, but, but no running water. To wash our hands, uh, his wife came over with a, with a pitcher of water and a, and a bucket, and we would just wash our hands that way, and no towels. There were, I don't think there was a towels anywhere ever to dry your hands after you washed them. But it was just... Um, it was just a, a, a real example of, of how poor it is there. You know, I mean, these guys, we were, we were eating inside. Us, so Pastor Boniface, his wife, Dan, me, and Brennan were all inside. His daughters and his, the, the rest of his family was outside where we're standing right here. And just to the left of this picture is this tree, and they were cooking on a fire, and all of them were eating outside. And it looked like that was what was normal to them. And so um, it was just, it's like camping. I mean, it's like camping on the side of a mountain every day is how they live. This was the Genocide Museum. Um, uh, you, it's one of those experiences you have to be there to really understand how it hits you, but it hits you. And um, I, I guess the, the, the biggest thing that I can say in, a, in the short time that we have is it's amazing how far we can, how, how low we can go when we get that far away from God, uh, to, to be able to, for humans to be able to do something like that is just unbelievable to me. But I also realize that I'm not above it. Um, it's it's just by God's grace that that I was never you know able or capable or, or had that much hate in me to ever have that in me to do, to do something like that. But it's just it's a a symptom of being human and living in sin and being away from God. Uh, these were pictures of, of people that were killed. Um, very real experience. It got to the point to where um, there was a, as you're walking through, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of guided through this, this, these hallways, and it tells you the story as you're building. And, and this was kind of towards the end, and they show all the pictures of people that they, um, they had found. And uh, at the end of it, at the end of the hallways was, was I think they called it the children's, hallway or something. And I, I mean, it was so overwhelming for me. I couldn't 
stay in there. I just had to walk right through because it was just so, so emotional, so powerful and, and sad. These are the graves, the mass graves. So they, uh, of them, so there were a million, there were a little over a million people killed in three months. And, uh, and it all happened. It was very, very planned. Once you, once you hear the story, it all happened after they assassinated both the presidents that were flying in the same plane, landing in Kigali. They shot the plane down, plane crashed, and that's when all these killings started happening. And then three months later, over a million people were dead. Of the million people, uh, 200, a little over 250,000 are buried here. They call it the mass graves. So it's just, it's just crazy. This is now us in Kigali, Rwanda. Me going over my notes and Dan doing the same. Bren's teaching right there. This is me teaching. Uh, that right there is uh, Teofi. Teofi was our translator for the most part in Rwanda. He was, you know, all the people that we met there were... <laughs> were pretty awesome. I, I was pleasantly surprised um, at, at how nice they were, just in general. Um, it was, it, you know, it, I guess it, I was asked by uh, uh, Miss Mandy, I was asked by her, what, what was my takeaway from Africa? One of the takeaways was, it, it was amazing for me to see how halfway around the world, God is working and saving people and people love him the same way we, that we love him here. I mean, I guess it's just ignorance, but, you, you know, you, you see how they're living and what they're living in and the, and the circumstances and the poverty, and you would think that there's a, there's, a, there's a real potential for them to be bitter and hate life and not want anything to do with God because why would God allow them to live in these circumstances, right? That's kind of the way I was looking at it. But they don't have that. They, 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 they have a hunger and a thirst to, to learn about God and know about God and, 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 and know the Bible. And they're just very eager to, to know him and love him. Another day, a different day of me teaching there, and I was explaining to him. So there was a lot of times where he would go, you'd say something and he'd turn to you and he'd go, come on. And I guess that was him saying, what? What are you saying? And so... Brent and I, Brent and I would always uh, do that to each other. Come on. Uh, so that was what he was doing there. And these were everybody, you know, just looking at us and listening and very intent on 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 learning. At this church in Rwanda, there right next to it was a school, and all these little kids would come out at uh, like 10:30 in the morning and and play. They'd have their recess, and so of course, everywhere you went, when kids saw you, especially. I mean, you stand out in Africa. When you have white skin, you stand out. And so they know you're there. And, and when the kids see you, they just, I mean, it's like <laughs> they've never seen, you know, they've never seen one of you before. You can, and you can tell because they're very, very interested and excited and they run up to you and they want to touch you. And so we took it as a photo opportunity. This? was Brennan taking a picture when I was really thinking about what I was trying to get across, and I just happened to look over, and he snapped the photo. So there it is. This is Teofi and uh, Dominique as we were leaving our last day. So one of the things that Brennan, I think, talked about last time, which you can obviously see in this picture, the men in Burundi were, you know, Brennan and I were tall. In Rwanda, it wasn't that way. I mean, Dominique was, was tall even for Rwandan, but, I mean, he's probably 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, he's huge. And that was just, they were just taller people there. 
uh, and we got to do a safari. And so this was the baboons. Right as soon as we were leaving, uh, you can see the mom with her uh, baby. We thought that was a cool picture. A lot of impalas. Uh, they were on the roads, on the side of the roads, everywhere. There was, I'd say they were easily the most populated animal that we saw. Zebras, there was a ton of those too, and th- those are just beautiful animals. Uh, warthogs, those, they were the, easily the most skittish. It was hard to get a picture of warthogs, warthogs because they were running. As soon as they heard you coming, they were running. And it's thick there. And so when they went into the bushes, you couldn't find them. This is not a friendly animal. That's a hippopotamus, and they are just very grumpy. They don't want you around. They don't want pictures. They don't want anything to do with you. They want you to leave them alone. And I am very okay with that. <laughs> they growl, and they snort, and they do this kind of stuff. And it's, uh, we took a boat ride, and, <laughs> and they did some of that stuff, and it was, uh, it, was a, it was a neat experience. Alligator, or crocodiles, I'm sorry, he was just... It kind of looks like he's growling at us or something there, but he was just sitting there like that with his mouth open, just taking in the sun, I guess, trying to catch some flies. And then he found out we were there, and he said, I'm out of here. And this we saw just before the sun went down. It was Mr. He, they, they actually had a name for him, and I can't remember what it was, but an elephant. So we were on the boat right here. You can see that's from the water, and he's right there on the shore, and he was just eating that tree, and that was awesome to see that. And we got, he pulled us up real close, and we got to, we got to get pretty close to him. Uh, these are water bucks, they're called. A ton of those around, too. Another one of a zebra, front shot. More impalas. Cape buffalo. So this is like one of the most dangerous animals, I guess, there are. Um, because they, they stay in packs and they attack you, and like they defend themselves in a pack. Just a, another selfie shot. Us in, the, in our safari uh, jeep. So... One, one last thing. Another takeaway that I had was, um, and probably the most important one, and this took me a few days to, to come to, but, you know, when I was first asked to go to Africa, I, the, the idea of, of, of teaching to pastors was like, are you sure you're asking the right person? Because I don't feel like I'm the right person for that. Um, so it was a very uncomfortable idea. Uh, it was very uncomfortable to be away from my family for two weeks and go to a, another country. But I decided to do it after praying and talk to my wife. And the one thing that I, that I have thought about and reflected on is I'm so lucky to, to even be in a position to know God. And then to be in a position to be asked to do something like this, um, there is no better gift that any, any of us can ever have or any person on this earth can ever have, except for to know God. And so it's very easy for us to sit in our little comfort zones. It's very easy for me to sit in my comfort zone and avoid that conversation when you know you're talking to somebody that that may not know God, may not want to know God, or, or, or doesn't want to hear about it. And so we just move on and not say anything. Or it's very easy to stay at home and not go to Africa and talk about God to people that that you would think know more than you. But I will say that um, it was it was such a huge blessing and there were so many benefits from it. I can't go over it. I'm probably taking too much time as it is. But um, the opportunity for us to be able to explain to anybody, no matter how much they know God, 
who God is and, and what our testimonies are is, is such a blessing and an honor that I feel like if we're not doing things that are, that are making us a little uncomfortable as Christians, then I don't really think that we're living the way that God intends us to live. And also what comes from that, too, is not just... I'm not, I'm not the one saving anybody. I'm, it's not my message. It's God's message. And it's the same message. It's, it's, it's what we hear every weekend here, you know, um, from good teachers. And so it's not my message. We're just, we're just delivering the message that, that, that the Bible teaches us. It's not me saving them. It's God that saves them. We're just called to, to go and, and preach to the ends of the earth, right? And so there should be no pressure on us. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have to feel like we have to say it a certain way. I mean, God could have easily done it on his own and done it way better than we can. But he blessed us and gave us the opportunity to, to help him. To, to, he uses us as tools to, to save people. And that is such an honor. That is, that is such a blessing for us to be able to have that calling. And, and so I just want to encourage everybody here. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's, it, and you're going to. Um, I'm not comfortable standing up here right now, to be honest with you, fully. I wasn't comfortable taking 20 hours of flying to Africa um, and standing in front of pastors and, and teaching. And I don't know if anybody's going to get anything from what I said there. But I know that, that I felt very blessed and honored to do it, and I feel very blessed and honored to, to have the support of everybody here to be able to do it. And I just want to encourage all of you, and it doesn't have to be in Africa. It, it could be with your dad, your brother, your sister, your coworker, the person at the grocery store. The best gift in the world is to know God. And he made himself um, available to us through his son. And all we have to do is just tell people about that. That's all we have to do. And the blessings that we get from that, the, the experiences that we get from that, um, are beyond measure. And, and, and what other people can get from that is, is, is the greatest gift that anybody can ever have. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. All right, so I have some pictures also, and some of them are very similar, and uh, some obviously our stories are very similar and whatnot, but um, it was a very impactful trip on me, and um, so I wanted to talk about it a little bit. This is, uh, this is a large part of what was impactful to me. This is the, the group of pastors in Burundi, and uh, there, I don't know how many there were, 40-something <clears throat> that were there, and... Um, it was a blessing to be able to work with these men because they don't have the resources that we have. And I don't mean financial and whatnot. They don't have that either. But they don't have the, you know, you on your phone right now can pull up, you know, if you wanted to go on Google and look at different commentaries or different apps that you have on your phone, you can look in English and, uh, and you can access all manner of information right now. And, it, and it, you didn't try hard to do that, and you didn't pay a big fee to do that. You just did it, and it took no time, and there you, you got to, to have access to those kind of resources, and these men just don't have that. Just because of the limited number of people in the world who speak their language, uh, I mean, I would, I, I'm guessing 20-ish million of uh, people in the world speak Kirundi, and so you're not going to get a lot of translations of good, you know, Christian literature into their language because it only, ser- you know, it only serves 20 million people 
maximum. And, uh, and so they don't have access to a lot of resources. And so for us to be able to come and teach and condense down a lot of the reading and the study and the, the things that, that we have access to and to condense it down and present it in a, in a way that they could take it and run with it was a, a powerful thing to me. This is something that as, as I was, uh, had the opportunity to go to graduate school and, uh, this is what I was training to do was to, to teach pastors. Of course, I thought it was going to be in Russia and we would be living there and all those sorts of things. But uh, training pastors and passing on to them information that was so readily available for me as an American here and passing that on to them uh, is a powerful thing to me. I love to teach God's Word and I love to help other people learn how to teach God's Word also. And that's what this trip was about for me, both in Burundi and in Rwanda. So this is the group of pastors. This is our... our uh, uh, after party picture. And these, these are uh, the men studying, listening, and uh, taking notes. They had printouts of, of the lectures that we were giving. And so there were a couple different things going on. They would have the notes in their hand, but we didn't necessarily stick with the notes, and that was fine. The notes were, were given to them in such a format that they could take them and use them as sermon notes. So, for example, they might take just a couple of points or one point that was broken down into several subpoints, and they could go preach on that. And they would have outlines for sermons for their own, to help them in their own sermon preparation, help them in their own preaching. And so that was done on purpose, so that they could just take this and, and not regurgitate what we said. They would do it in their own way, but they already had an outline. They already had something that was very usable and practical. That's a practical help uh, to, to help someone in teaching. And so these guys are reading through, probably wondering why we weren't sticking to the outline. Well, we had things we wanted to teach. Them, and uh, it was related to the outline, but didn't necessarily follow it uh, per se. Uh, this is lunchtime, and um, this facility was wonderful, and the food was wonderful, and uh, it was it was really great. And you'd be amazed how much food they could fit on one plate. And uh, they just, and I mean, it was a lot of carbs. I noticed the same thing, a lot of rice, um, but it was delicious. And for some of these men, their first meal of the day would be our tea time that we had at about 10, 10 o'clock, 10.30 in the morning. We would have tea. And so, you know, there we were drinking tea. But for them, that meant drinking tea and eating lots of whatever they had opportunity to eat. So there cake and, and uh, you know, type thing, you know, bananas. We ate a lot of bananas and things like that. So th- these, are, these are often very poor men who have the opportunity to eat for free by coming to this conference. That, that's a, that's a, a side benefit. And so they took advantage of that and uh, ate like kings for a while. And uh, so here are some more of the students uh, during the lectures, uh, me teaching. And so this is the same room, by the way, that the women's conference was done in uh, six months ago, back in October. So it's the same room right next door to the one we had done the conference in previously. And uh, uh, yeah, so that's uh, Severin who's doing the interpreting there. He worked like a dog and he loved it. We would apologize, you know, we felt bad for him, like, take a break. You don't have to speak English with me anymore. You can like, you know, hang out, you know, by yourself for a while. No, no, I love it. I I love to, you know, it's like going to seminary for him because he's getting to translate it all. And so he loved every minute of it. He went home exhausted every day, but he loved it. And there's, uh, there's Andre. He was the interpreter for the women at the women's conference last time. And so he had not been through this conference at all. And that was Andy's friend. This was our day. Um, uh, our day there in Burundi. It was nice to get to get out of the city and get to look around. They they don't at least the, the the people that we worked with in Africa they don't they don't go and play. They don't do the tourist thing in their mind. They don't really have a kind of a category for that because they're busy doing what they're doing. And so when we asked them, you know, go you know show us around your town. What do you like to go see? And he was like, I I, 
I just want to, you know, do what you want to do. I don't really know because I don't go look around a lot. So uh, they took us out to this Livingston Stone, and that was that was cool. And these were the kids that we got to see there. So um, these were uh, these are the two pastors. That's Pastor Boniface on the right. He's actually a bishop. He's 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 a pastor of a church, but he's he's kind of in charge of several other churches as well. And then that's uh, Severin, not the interpreter Severin, Severin, but the angry-looking Severin. This is about as kind a face as he can make. He's a very nice man. You just couldn't tell it by looking from the outside. There was only one guy grumpier who, with a grumpier face, and we called him Grumpy Face, I think. <laughs> but then when the whole thing was over, he was smiling and happy too. So it just didn't, uh, we didn't perceive the joy from their normal resting face. But it looks like Severin's a giant there, but he's actually only about 5'10". So this is Burundi, and those are the heights uh, of them. So here, here we are in, um, at this uh, workshop in there in Burundi. And this is the product. Uh, this is one of the products of what they do. So this is like a towel, um, that, that they produce there for us to sell here. This benefits them. And so this, this was all put together by, um, uh, some, some people, particularly, I think, I think Leslie with, uh, item headed this thing up and she, she wanted to address the intense poverty and lack of hope of any, economic development for these, particularly these, these young women. They just didn't have any way to make money. They didn't have any job skills, nothing marketable, and not really an opportunity to do anything like that. And so this was kind of something she came up with of, uh, of providing them with these sewing machines that, uh, that they could use to, to produce things that they could sell just to help with their lives, their lifestyle, so they could meet some, meet some basic needs. And so when we were there, it was a blessing to be able to see that and to see some of their handiwork and to see the difficulty of uh, producing anything there because they only have a total of eight machines. And so they have one instructor who's teaching the other seven how to do the job. Well, that means you can have a total maximum of seven students at any one time producing anything because they only have seven machines. So they work two shifts and the, you know, from eight to noon or whatever, and then one to five or something like that. They have two different shifts during the day, same teacher, but just different group of students producing stuff. So they're trying to get it going. It would help if they had, if they had more of those sewing machines. I think those were Chinese sewing machines with the pedal at the bottom about $200, I think, per. And so anyway, they're, they're growing. And this is, this is, uh, uh, was sent back, uh, with me. And actually I thought I was just going to be the mule to carry it back and then mail it off to Leslie in Oregon. And she said, well, since you have it in Fallon, why don't you see if anybody wants to buy some of those towels and the money just goes directly to them. So the money is all going to be collected by item and will be taken back to them. And I think she said that, uh, by selling each of these for $5, uh, each one it would be about a $2,000 uh, return for them, or I don't know that's not the profit, but anyway, it would be $2,000 that they can make from that. So I encourage you that in the back we have a table, we have some of these things for sale. This all goes to support these, these people who are trying to find a way to uh, support their own families. Uh, this is uh, Severin. He's also a pastor, and this is a very large church that, uh, that he has, a large room. It was not quite maybe as big as this one, but it was, it was good size. And he took us into his office, which was a, a very fascinating experience to get, kind of get, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time in my office. It's very personal, you know, and to bring someone into that, I want to show them my books. I want to show them. And, and we walked in and it, and there was not a book or bookcase in sight. He had table and chairs and a desk and that was it. And so um, I noticed that right away. There's not a single book. You can hardly get into my office because of all the books, right? And there, there wasn't one there. He just didn't have one. And so that, that's, a, that's a difference in what's available uh, for him. And um, 
And I think maybe also, maybe because of that, maybe what's valued. I, I, don't, I don't really know that aspect. Uh, but he didn't have a single book. And, you know, he didn't have a bookshelf with a Bible on it or anything. And so that really struck me because I'm a book guy. And um, so he, uh, he was an illustration to me of the importance of training and teaching for these men to be able to, uh, to, to pastor, to preach God's word well and accurately and in, a, in a, a way that is doctrinally sound and motivating for the people and avoids all the pitfalls that, that uh, there exist in preaching the word. And so this is a, his office was a motivator to me. It was really motivating. So that was Burundi. And here we are in, uh, here I am in, in Rwanda preaching. I got to preach there in the first time preaching in an African church. And I made a mistake and only went for like 45 minutes. So, you know, I thought, well, you know, that's normal for me. And, and then, um, so Dan preached at the same church the next weekend, went for two hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not saying I should go for two hours and 15 minutes, nor am I threatening you. I'm not sure I can go that long. It was a blessing to be able to preach in their church. It was a great, great blessing. This is, this is Pastor Mazak, and this is his church, and so he's uh, telling us about new laws that have been passed um, that, that uh, I think I talked about this, where they're wanting to uh, make sure that all the church buildings in the city of Kigali are up to code. That means they need to have a, a lightning rod, they need to have a paved parking lot, and they need to have soundproof panels inside to keep the blaring music and the, uh, the loud worship you know, from, from disturbing neighbors, etc. And so we don't know if that is for the purpose of kind of shutting down the church a little bit, or if that's for the purpose of just bringing things up to speed. And, uh, and so I, I don't really know. And di- different pastors had different opinions on that, but Mazak's telling us about that. The, uh, the genocide memorial in uh, Kigali is very powerful, and going through it a second time was just as powerful as the first time. And this time, as we were going through it, I could hear people breaking down and actually wailing as they were kind of encountering different aspects of this. Maybe it was uh, personal memories or maybe family that they didn't remember but that was lost, and uh, it was very powerful. I, you know, it's hard to, hard to put your mind around a million people in a hundred days being killed for, uh, for having the title Tutsi. That was what it was. And this man uh, is, uh, so there I am sitting with, with Pastor Dan, and this man here moved to Rwanda. He's Rwandan, but he had been living in a refugee camp, I think in Uganda, um, while the genocide went on. He moved to Rwanda itself for the first time seven days after the genocide ended. He said there were still bodies everywhere. Like there, there, there was, it was like a ghost town. Because not only were a million people killed, but a couple of million people fled um, maybe two or three million people fled, and it was the total population of the country beforehand was only six million. So it went from six million to a population of about two million in a hundred days. And so he showed up, and he's a, he was a new Christian, and um, he just went around sharing the gospel, and, and people said, oh, you're a pastor, so where's your church? And he said, um, that tree over there, let's meet there on Sunday, the, and that was like the centerpiece of the village, and uh, I'll tell you where my church is there. And so people showed up on Sunday, and he said, all right, here's my church. <laughs> and they preached, and so they met there for several months before they got into a building, etc. Anyway, he's a, he's a mover and a shaker. He's a, he's a very interesting guy. Patrick is his name. So I think this was just to show you the mud. It, it, it was the rainy season, so it wasn't hot, which was wonderful, but it was muddy, and um, there was mud everywhere. And this is the, uh, again, this is Kigali. This is where the second pastor's conference took place. This is an Anglican church where we met, and um, it's just a room. 
It's just a big room is all it is, and, and it, it met our needs just fine. It was a great place. The tin roof makes it pretty loud. When the rain starts coming down pretty hard, you can't hardly hear anything, uh, but it was a good room. The Pastor Dan teaching with uh, Teofi as his interpreter, and uh, these were some of the students, the majority of the students there. Um, and these, the students in the other place got to read through our notes while we were, while we were teaching. <clears throat> these weren't given notes. And I was kind of curious to see if they would just sit there and like, oh, okay, that's, you know, maybe an important thing. Maybe I'll follow it. They wrote everything down. And so they're sitting there, you know, writing on their knee and they're where, you know, wherever they can, they're writing stuff down. So they were really paying attention and, um, and asking good questions and things like that. These were those kids. They were fascinating to us just as much as we were fascinating to them, I think. And we had lunch there. You can see, I mean, that plate is, he's already eaten some of it. And, and it's still, you know, the chair is like <laughs> about to be weighed down, broken by this meal. Delicious. And there's uh, Dominique. And uh, there I am straining to be as tall as I can, but uh, they, they, they were towering over me. And so this was, um, this is Dominique's wife, and she was passing greetings to our women's team who was there, and so Anne passing greetings to the church. And so she uh, spoke very kindly of the time she got to spend with uh, the women at the women's conference and was uh, desirous to know when the next one would be and, and when she would get to see everyone and how everyone was doing and how everyone's family is doing. And so she was, uh, she was passing on greetings there. These were uh, the, the students uh, from the second pastor's conference. The first pastor's conference was very basic. The second pastor's conference was focused more on preaching and ministry. And so we got to go a little bit more in depth into some, into some things. And we spent a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 4. And um, Ephesians chapter 4 is a very uh, uh, powerful passage I'm going to read in a moment. And uh, just to kind of cap uh, what we're saying here, but it's really... Ephesians 4 was driving this conference, and it's been, it's been in my mind for a long time, just about equipping the saints to do the work of ministry and the, the equipping aspect, that training and teaching aspect that's so readily accessible, and we tend to say, eh, eh, you know, when I get around to it, or I don't really care. And it's not even available over there. And so that, that was striking to me. So uh, at this second conference, they were not given notes until after it was all over and they were printed and bound. And so you can see that's a pretty significant amount of information, which would also be, uh, you know, something they could study through. They could go back through and they would get a lot more out of it. They could preach it. The outlines are in such a fashion that this is probably, you know, a couple of years worth of preaching outlines uh, for each of them right there. And so um, that was powerful to me, just that, that concept. Here is a typical hut that we passed on the way to the safari. It was, uh, it was nice to be able to take, you know, a day and a half, two days and go look around while we were there. So after the conference was over in, in Rwanda, we went, uh, on this safari and uh, it was a, it was a great experience. It was just a few hour drive away to this park, drove by a million of these places. This is just a typical house that, that we drove by and, uh, that, I, that's just a cool picture. We weren't actually that close. It was a telephoto lens, but it was a neat, uh, neat opportunity. And there we were having lunch. And, um, and you can't really see in this picture, but there were probably a half a dozen different kinds of animals that we could see, and probably lions too that we didn't see. <laughs> but that's fine. We didn't, uh, we didn't think about that too much. But this was just amazing. This is like opening up National Geographic and having lunch right there. And that's what we did. And so... Um, that's the end of my slideshow, but uh, what, what I came away with is, is from Ephesians chapter 4, and, uh, and we've, we've preached on this, we've taught on this and read this before, but this, this was the focus of the conference that we were doing, and this is, this is kind of how I want to tie things up here in, in relation to um, our sharing just this morning. 
Ephesians chapter 4, Paul begins in verse 11. He says, and he gave the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And, and so this, is, this was part of what we were doing is these were pastors and teachers, but they themselves hadn't really been equipped to pass on this equipping to their congregations, the, to the saints who were to be equipped to do the work of ministry. So the saints were to be doing the work of ministry, but the pastors hadn't even received the equipping to be able to do that. They had the Bible in front of them, but they, didn't, they hadn't had someone walk through the Bible with them to teach them how to teach it to others. And so, uh, so that's, that's what uh, Paul says we're to do, that, that uh, those, those uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So how is the body of Christ built up? Well, the ministry of the saints. The, 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 the equipping, the, the, the teaching that happens by pastors and teachers, training the people to do the work of ministry. That's how the work of ministry is done. That's how the body is built up, uh, building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Well, in what manner, children? In what manner may we no longer be children? Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And one of the things we've learned about Africa is that there is a massive amount of horrific doctrine. Most of it has originated here, by the way. I don't mean Parkside, but I mean from the United States. And we've exported it, and they've eaten it and, uh, and, and, and bought into it. And it is affecting the people. And this is, uh, there's a lot of really bad doctrine from, from prosperity gospel stuff to uh, all manner of other things that you wouldn't even recognize as being Christian with a lot of syncretism and things like that. There's a lot of doctrine that, uh, that is seeping into churches because they're unprepared, because they're like children. They, they, they can't discern, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is it right? Is it wrong? And, and the way that they are to grow beyond being children in this regard, the way they are to mature, to uh, mature manhood, to the, to the full stature, is by the teaching and preaching of the Word of God, which equips the saints to do the work of ministry, which builds up the body so that it's whole and growing, and is thus able to protect itself from such things. And so our investment in Africa and your investment in Africa in these last couple of trips has been to invest in teaching and equipping the pastors, the teachers, to do that training and to equip their saints to do the work of ministry there. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the whole uh, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love and so this this is what we taught during the, that second conference and this is really what they needed to hear they they themselves needed to be equipped in order to uh, to do that ministry to perform that ministry to uh, instruct their people how to do that work of ministry so that the whole body, the whole church could be strengthened and built up and, uh, and thus the church in Africa be strengthened and built up and their own uh, churches be strengthened and built up. And so this is, a, this is a powerful message and this is really the direction of the ministry that, uh, that we got to be involved in. And so let's, let's keep praying for uh, our brothers and sisters in Africa 
And they pass on greetings to you, and they've been praying for you, and they're thankful that that uh, you were willing to send us, and and for your investment in them, and that you're willing to buy towels and and uh, and support them. And so, um, it was a blessed time. And I know uh, I speak for Andy when I say that it was it was very impactful in our own lives. And we just pray that that uh, the teaching we were able to do, and the the opportunity that we had to do equipping there, uh, that it would be um, fruitful that God would use it to bear fruit there. But this is home. This is home. Parkside's my home. And I'm glad to be back. And I'm glad that we get to celebrate communion today. And so if the men would go ahead and come forward, uh, I would appreciate it. We're going to celebrate communion together. This is a time where we as a church get to commune with Jesus in a very special way, and we get to commune with one another in a very special way. And so uh, the men are going to come forward, and and, uh, this is something that we do. Once a month, it's an opportunity for us to um, to really think about what is most important in life. We saw a lot of poverty. We saw a lot of difficult things that people lived through, and we were amazed that you know that the guy living in that you know that house that I showed you.